0: Father, we come before your throne by the blood of Jesus and we open our hearts to you, we open our minds to you to speak to us, not that we could just amass some more knowledge, but Lord, that our hearts could be marked for eternity. Lord, we love living each day in this realm of time, but we know there is another realm, a realm we will pass into. At that appointed time. And so, Father, I ask that you would make us ready, that your word would be received today by faith, that we would be energized by your Spirit to live for you and to glorify you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you don't have the notes, uh, raise your hand right now if you would. This will help you to go along. We have One stray on the front row, stray not having a scripture. We have one back there doing sound. Thank you, Lord. Last week, we talked about the scientific and medical evidence for NDEs. NDE is short for near-death experiences. We looked at it. We looked at how these thousands and thousands of descriptions of people who've left their body and seen what's going on in their surroundings and then actually gone to other realms beyond their surroundings. And we looked at how that lines up with Scripture, how that compares with the Word of God. So we don't just want to believe what people say. We want to to line it up with what God says. Amen? So we want to see what, what the Word says. We looked at that last week in great detail. There are notes out in the Uh, Lobby. There's some CDs out there. I encourage you if you want to if you want to catch up on that or study that some more, go to the website, listen to the message, study the notes, and uh, you'll be prepared on that. But that's really not my focus today, since the title of this series, the title of this whole campaign that's happening in Austin this spring is "What's After ATX." I want us to look at what happens after. We die for Christians. Now, there will look, there's also everyone is going to die. But for Christians in particular, the Bible is very specific and detailed about what happens to us when we die. And so, my belief is, and my heart today is that we be prepared, that we be prepared for that time. And I believe it's going to invigorate us to want to see other people get prepared and inspire us so that we ourselves can live with a greater holiness in our lives, with greater passion for Jesus. Uh, It it says, Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Now that's an appointment. How many of you have ever missed an appointment? I mean, have you ever been late for an appointment? I've got to keep my hand up a lot for that. This is one appointment you're not going to miss. But are we ready for that appointment? We'll talk about that in a minute. Psalm 90 verse 12 is a verse that I consider one of my life philosophy scriptures. Teach us to number our days so that we may offer, so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I pray this regularly. I say, Lord, teach me to number my days. Help me not waste a day so that at the end of my days, I can offer to you a heart of worship. Number one, a heart of worship and a heart of wisdom. And so, My heart's that we be prepared, and I believe God's Spirit and His Word helps to prepare us. Now, a couple of things that I think um, we need to see that I need to share before we go further because I think some of us can get hung up on this whole idea of NDEs if we're not understanding two two key points. Paragraph uh, B is the first one. The people that describe, and then I'm going to move into what I want to talk about, us being prepared, but the people who describe these near-death experiences sense that they are not fully in heaven or hell because all of them come back to life. So they don't die completely. It's like they're outside looking through a window into heaven or hell. In other words, it's like they're aware they can choose to come back into their body. Some describe good things, some describe bad things. Some describe going through a tunnel, and at the end of the tunnel, they see what is described as light, love, and God. For Christians who have that near-death experience, when they see this person who's this person of light and love, they identify and they see Him as Jesus. But many of those non-Christians, non-believers, they're not sure who it is. They say it's this being or this person of light or this this, uh, man in white, but they don't know who it is. So we need to understand that. Otherwise, you might get hung up going, now, what's going on? Is everybody going to this good place? What's happening with all that? And how could they come back if they're already there? Um, This kind of helps you understand that, which then leads to another question that a lot of us are probably asking, especially if you got the book, booklet last week, I encourage everyone to get it, read it, about 90-minute read, and then uh, pray about who you might give it to, who doesn't know the Lord. But the second, the question that is probably on a lot of people's minds is if people go through this tunnel and see Jesus, this person of light, love, and this person, and God, and it's Jesus, why would Jesus show himself to a non-believer and then let him come back into their body? Well, there are some different thoughts on that. different ways to answer, but in Revelation 1-7, it says... That Jesus is one day coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. So, every eye, he's gonna reveal himself to every human being on the planet one day, but they're not all going to say, I believe in Jesus. Second, think about this Jesus walked the earth three and a half years, performed mighty miracles, signs, and wonders, preached the good news of the kingdom to multitudes, and yet many who heard and saw Him, Jesus, preaching and doing miracles, they then said, crucify Him. You see, the truth is, some people, as they go through life, they can get more and more skeptical about spiritual things and about Jesus. Now, I want to encourage you today. I put a little note, stop there and say, um, if you know someone right now in your family, your world, who is skeptical about Jesus, I want to encourage you it's not too late to pray for them. Pray that their hearts would become soft, that their eyes would become open. It's not too late. God can remove veils and hardness from hearts. They may be skeptical now, but I want to tell you God hears our prayers, God wants to move on our prayers. Roman numeral two, now we can kind of... I do want to move in where I left off last week, that the point that not all NDEers, near-death experience people who've had these experiences, not all of them go to a good place. In fact, three words describe the place that over 23% say they go. It's a place of darkness. Three words describe where they go. Darkness, heat... And torment. Darkness, heat, and torment. Professor Howard Storm, this is just, his, I'll have this picture up there while, while I read this. Professor Howard Storm was one of those. He was an atheist. He taught art, and he was over in Paris taking his, one of his classes from Northern Kentucky University on a tour in Paris. And while on the tour, his lower intestine perforated causing toxins to, co- to flood his stomach cavity. They rushed him to a hospital in Paris, but there wasn't any surgeon on duty, and uh, eventually he died. He, he died there in the hospital. So I want to start reading here. This is page 60 in the booklet that everybody can have later um, because it's, it's vivid. I believe it's going to help us. Uh, It starts out with, are these, kind of repeating what I said earlier, are these people actually in hell? Not fully, because just like heaven experiences, all of them came back to life. They didn't die completely. They didn't cross that border or boundary. They only tasted death. What people experience is a warning of the reality of hell. Howard Storm, this professor, I told you, he, he ultimately, he passed away. He later wrote... This is what he said after he came out of all this. I knew for certain that there was no such thing as life after death. Only simple minded people believed in that sort of thing. I didn't believe in God or heaven or hell or any other fairy tales. He expected oblivion, but instead, he found himself alive, standing in the hospital room. At first, Howard felt so wonderful. He didn't realize he was dead. He encountered a welcoming committee of nice people, he thought. Nice people, he thought, were the hospital staff. But they deceived him and led him into an outer darkness, exactly like Jesus describes in Matthew 8, 11 through 13. Let me stop there and interject an interpretive key here. If Howard Storm had come back and reported, if if his experience had ended with this nice welcoming committee, and then he'd come back into his body, and he reported that, then he would think, I must be okay with whoever made me. And people hearing him, hearing that, would think they're okay. But I'm not okay and you're not okay until we come to the one who's perfectly okay and great, and that's Jesus. So so listen to what Howard Storm says after that. There, this welcoming committee, they're, they're nice, but then there, they led me into an outer darkness. In that horrifying darkness, these beings turned on me and mauled me like the worst prison scene imaginable. At first I was pushing, kicking, pulling, hitting, and then that became biting and tearing. At first they were. They were pushing, kicking, pulling, hitting, then became biting and tearing with their fingernails and hands. And they were taking places pieces of me and there was a lot of laughter, a lot of very foul language. And then... They became more invasive. And I don't even go further with this because it was so demeaning. I mean, I don't talk about it. There's never been a horror movie or book that can begin to describe their cruelty because their cruelty was pure, purely sadistic. The emotional pain of what they had done to me was worse than the physical pain. The physical pain was pain from head to foot, just solid, horrible, acute pain. On a scale of one to 10, it was a 10. I didn't begin to, it didn't begin to match what I felt on the inside. In that place, I heard a voice, which I identified as my voice, except that it did not come from my throat. It's strange, but I feel it came out of my chest. The voice said, pray to God. And I thought, but I don't believe in God. I don't pray. The voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't even know how to pray. I couldn't pray if I wanted to pray. The voice said a third time, pray to God. But eventually, in his desperation, Howard remembered a song that he had learned when his neighbor took him to church as a child. Jesus loves me. This I know. That's all he knew. He said, Jesus loves me, this I know. I thought, why would Jesus care about me? Even if he is real, why would he care? He must hate me. I'm so sorry, I thought. I thought, enough of this. I'm done. I don't have anything else. I wanted to be true. I wanted it to be true that Jesus loved me. I yelled into the darkness, Jesus, save me. I've never meant anything more strongly in my life. All that gore began to just dissolve, and I became whole. And much more significantly to me than the physical healing was that I was experiencing a love that is beyond, far beyond words. I've never been able to articulate it, but I can say that if I took all my experiences of love in my entire life, and could condense it into a moment, it still wouldn't begin to measure up to the intensity of this love that I was feeling. And that love is the foundation of my life from that moment on. And I knew, I don't know how I knew, but I knew that he loved me very much just the way I was. Jesus does love me. I had called out to Jesus and he came to rescue me. I cried and cried, joy upon joy billowed through me. So he recovers, he comes back to Northern Kentucky University, he walks into the office and he resigns as a professor and goes into seminary, gave his life to the Lord, has, become, has been a pastor for 20, 30 years since that time. Now he did pay a price, he told his wife about the change, his wife left him, but he went on to pursue the call of God in his life. <sighs> yes. Jesus loves me. This I know. But the Bible tells me so. Lord, I ask that you would, wherever we are right now, that you would release revelation in the fresh way of your love. You love me. You love me just the way I am. And you love me too much to leave me just the way I am. Would you continue to work in me and continue to work in us? Would you help us in these next minutes to number our days, realizing That the ultimate, one of the clearest revelations in your word about what's after for Christians is that we will stand before you, Jesus, in a judgment scene. Help us now in these next minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Roman numeral three. What happens for a believer after he dies? There is a judgment. Regardless of all the NDEs that we hear from people and what people's opinions are about this and that, we know this is going to happen. Second Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10, and Romans 14 as well, talk about this judgment seat of Christ. It's for believers. Look at the verses there. It says, um, verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat or bema seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now it's clear by the context that Paul is talking to believers. There, there is also a judgment for unbelievers, in Revelation twenty verse eleven, that talks about a white throne judgment. And there's a name, the Book of Life, and the names that are found in the Book of Life are believers. It's a little hot in here. You okay? Welcome, missionaries from Indonesia. Yes, <laughs> Ben and Colette, and a little one, and you're you're here celebrating and having a baby shower. Woo. Let's just stop and something. Okay. Okay. Maybe hit the AC on just a little if you want. Thank you, Kyle. I got distracted. But it, there's going to be there're going to be two courtrooms. There's going to be this this scene where Jesus is is on a seat. It's called in the Greek a bima seat. Okay? And it was a a throne. Yeah, if you could show, yeah, thank you. So good. That top picture would be like a, a for in the Roman culture they knew what when they read this or when, when Paul wrote this, they knew what it meant to be at a judgment seat because a a, a Roman magistrate or a ruler would sit on this big throne to judge a matter, to try a case. And so when we pass from this body into the next life, the next reality, there are going to be two scenes. It's almost like if 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 we were all... You know, on our day, like, I don't know how many people are going to pass away on this day. I don't want to get morbid, you know, but however many are going to die today, it's like they're all heading toward a judgment at some point in history. I don't want to get into that, but it's like there's, there's going to be two courtrooms. Like, if you ever been to the Travis County Courthouse? Oh, no, I've never been to the courthouse. <laughs> well, I know you did it to serve jury duty. I'm sure that's why. But there's a courtroom with 2 Corinthians 5.11 and you're going to go through that and Jesus is going to be on that Bema seat to judge Christians. And then there's a Revelation 20.11 over there. So that's Nate's office. So that's Jesus. <laughs> oh, come on. And then you're the father, the white throne. This is Rachel's office, but this the you're going to go... To one of two courtrooms. Now it's important here, that it's, it's, it's heavy to think about this, but in it, and it says there in 1 Corinthians, it says, we're going to receive things that were done in the body according to what we did with our life, whether good or bad. Okay? So we go into this courtroom, Jesus is on the, the Bema seat, the judgment seat, and our works, our service to God, for how many years we were on the earth, are, are only fall into two categories. There's only one of two categories, good or bad. Things done, well, there you go. <laughs> you think about You think through for me. Cool. Good or bad, they are things done out of obedience to the Lord and Scripture and to glorify God, or they're not, or they're bad. Now, that's a heavy thought, but I want to encourage everybody hearing me, if you're a believer in Jesus, this judgment seat of Christ is not for condemnation. You are not coming in to be determined, am I going to heaven or hell? That got settled Completely the moment you said yes to Jesus Christ. The moment you gave your life to Him, said, Here, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Because when He looks at you now, He doesn't, He looks, He sees the righteousness of Jesus. So you are already in going to heaven. It's not a judgment of the soul. It's a judgment of works. It's not for condemnation. It's for assessment of our service and allotment of rewards. Let's just repeat that. Just kind of say, say that after me. Not condemnation, not condemnation. but assessment, but assessment. And, allotment. and allotment. That's what this is for. What we do, our deeds, our works, our service to God will be assessed, and it falls into two categories we'll look at in a moment. It will be assessed, and then rewards. There are eternal rewards that are going to be given at that day. So it's an award ceremony, and here's the problem sometimes is my one something that's a healthy kind of it's a sober thought is what i do now affects and determines the allotment of reward that i receive on that day that's paragraph c let's go to number to roman numeral 4 judgment carried out we're going to face it's not for condemnation it's for allotment uh, Paul gives this picture of the judgment. It's a very vivid picture of the judgment of believers. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. And I'm kind of kind of land the plane on this whole thought here. This, because this is how we prepare for what's after. Being aware of this passage is, is something I think about regularly. And it, and it inspires me and, and moves me to number my days. Okay, not to earn his love. That was taken care of. That was settled by the love of Jesus. Not to earn his uh, earn righteousness. I received the gift of righteousness. But it will be uh, our works, as you'll see, are, are categorized into two separate categories. Wood, hay, and straw, and gold, silver, and precious stones. And notice what's happening. We're going to read this verse and see what happens. The Bible says Jesus has eyes like a flame of fire. So I could say something like there's going to be a blowtorch and fire's going to be released around us as we stand before the Lord to assess and allot. But I personally think it's going to be his eyes. His eyes like a flame of fire. Looking, examining, all the while knowing He loves me. I'm His. But when I want to, I ask Lord, let me see Your eyes. It's a flame of fire, so that I can walk in Your fire. All right, I got off on that, but let me go back. Let's look at this. First Corinthians three eleven: For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's why we're accepted. Well, it's not condemnation. We're building our life on the, uh, this foundation of Jesus and His righteousness. Now, if anyone builds on his foundation, it's what we do from now on once we become a Christian, with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, six things that we can build on, each one's work will become clear for the day, and if your Bible has it like mine, it's the capital D The day of the Lord, the day of judgment, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work, what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures or survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So you're still saved, but you just may not have a lot that survives the fire that you take with you in the, in the form of reward. So when we look at the ways God evaluates our works, see first of all that God places much more emphasis on quality than quantity. What's going to stand the test of fire? How many of you want your works to stand the test of fire, right? We're all going to make this appointment Appointed to die, I want, we're, we're going to, after this is this judgment scene, but when the fire is released, what will stand the test of fire? First, the thing we noticed is quality is more important. God's more interested in them, the quality than quantity. The things which are burned up, please hear this, the things which are burned up are all things that are easy to acquire a large quantity of. You can go out in the forest. You can get lots of wood. You go get hay. But you, we see we see piles of wood. We see pi- But how many of you see piles of gold bars? <laughs> right? No. You can go on the corner here and buy a stack of firewood. <laughs> Think of the Aggie bonfire. Right? That's a lot of wood. Right? We go to a. We see the farms. We see these stacks, hay stacks. So wood and hay. They can be acquired in large amounts, but when the fire is released, they burn up. But then you look at gold, silver, and precious stones. I got this. Compare this, and this would be a really, in my opinion, a really good bowl full before the Lord. But a, a, a bowl of gold, silver, precious stones, and then you see this this aggie bonfire of wood, or you see this haystack over here, the fire of heaven—you know God's fire comes released. What happens to gold, silver, and precious stones when fire is released? It not only survives; it's what—it's refined. refined. It becomes more. Twenty-four karat gold has been through the fire, more than ten karat. Okay, so as we look at this, the things that are that are amassed in great quantities, that are easier, is something we have to be aware of, that quantity is not what we're going for, first off. We're going for quality. Sadly, I believe some ministers, some who serve the Lord, and I'm putting myself somewhat in this category because it's always preaching back at me, but those who have those those amassed large quantities as a result of their service, they will have a bitter experience of seeing a lot of it burn up. It's just wh- how this is described. They'll, it'll burn up. It'll perish in the fire of Christ's final judgment and assessment of their work. So if we're going to escape this kind of disappointment, what should we aim at? What should be our aim How? I want to end here with with giving you like three ideas, three words. In a sense, in morning prayer, I saw this. These three words, motives, obedience, and power, those are the currency by which we buy eternal gold, silver, and precious stones. So, Really let Lord, I ask the Lord, really speak to us right now on this on this right here. What's going to cause us to have works and service that remains? First is having the right motive for serving and living the Christian life. Is our motive selfish ambition? Is it to appear successful before people? Is it to build the biggest Ministry or the biggest business, or have uh, great influence before people, or is our motive to be for the glory with sincerity to be for the glory of God that the fame of the name of Jesus would be glorified above what someone may think of us? Is our sincere desire. To glorify God above all. That's the right motive. That's what's going to cause the gold to to be created. Is our sincere desire to glorify God and perhaps ourselves to remain almost unnoticed or insignificant in the middle of it. When you interact with people and you leave the room, do you want them thinking more about you Or more about God. I think about that myself. When I leave, you know, do like for this for this message today. Is my goal that someone comes up and goes, wow, that message? Or do I want them to, do I want someone to say, oh, God touched my heart today? You see. And I'm not saying I'm pure is the driven snow on these motives. I'm talking about mixed motives. Okay? Is my heart to be to to have him be glorified. I had someone come in, a vendor this week, came in to drop something off, and they mentioned a person they met here. And they, they could have just signed and dropped off the thing. They said, you know that person who was here? They prayed for my son who has cerebral palsy. And they had the man almost had tears in his eyes. Because what he encountered was someone who when he left He thought more about God than about this or that. You see? Now, I appreciate if someone compliments. I'm not saying don't compliment me on a matter. You know, if you come up and... Because I know what you're saying. You know, you're probably saying, thank you, I got blessed. I got toward the Lord. But, but But at the same time, what's my motive? Is that the fame of his name will be lifted up. Obedience. I'll go real quickly. Rachel, if you could... Okay, come up, or you could come up. We're serving God according to his word and his ideas, not according to necessarily the theology of the age, to what people are th- saying is the right way to minister and serve people because what happens in a culture and a society is going to change over the decades. It's not going to... What is what we're doing in obedience, does it line up with God's truth and the way Jesus defines things. If we are looking and saying, I want to obey you, we're going to be tested on this point of obedience. Okay, how does Jesus define marriage? How does Jesus define the life of a baby inside the mother's womb? How does Jesus define Unconditional love. It doesn't mean we all go to heaven. Well, he's unconditional. He's not going to send everybody. He's going to send us all to heaven. We're all going to go through the tunnel to the light. And it's all. That's, not, that's not unconditional love. The unconditional love is you can come to Jesus, give him your life, and he forgives you, and, and you're now born again. So the things we do out of obedience will stand the fire even if we're not popular before people. The things we do with the right motives, that's exactly right. Third is the issue of power. Are we serving God in the power of the Holy Spirit or simply in our own fleshly talent or willpower? Are we trusting? If I, I, in preparing this message today, before I stood up today, if I said, Lord, I got this, Holy Spirit, you can take the day off. You know, I've been I've been preaching a lot of years, and I, you know, it's going to burn up. It's not going to make a difference. Am I serving God in trusting in His power, or the power of the Holy Spirit? I wrote this phrase. It's in the bottom of your notes. Only that which is done in the fire of the Holy Spirit will stand the test of the fire of judgment. I want him to set my heart on fire with his spirit. That means empower me with his spirit. Would you stand up to your feet if you want? These three things that make the difference, they make the difference. <laughs> Could you put those three words back up for me? So thank you. These make the difference between when we stand before the Lord, how much wood, hay, and stubble, things we did with selfish motive, things we did out of our own, going our own way, disobedience, things we did with our own willpower, our own fleshly talent. That's the wood, hay, and stubble or the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. I want to end, I want to pray today that today would be a turning point for some of us a sharp turn, for some maybe a more of a gradual turn, but a turning point from saying from this day on, Lord, I want to build a foundation of gold, silver, and precious stones. I don't want any more wood, hay, and stubble to my account after February 23rd, 2020. Back in in 1994, I was blessed to be at a conference in Orlando, Florida where Reinhard Bonnke spoke and I began to weep after his message. And I wept off and on for three days. And I'm supposed to be having fun with my family at Disney World. And tears would just come out of, my, out, of my, out of my eyes when I see Mickey Mouse and other things. Seriously. Because I had this vivid picture of everything I'd done up to that point in ministry and serving and loving. Everything I'd done burned up except for a little tiny cup of silver or a little tiny thing and I found this on the carpet this week it's probably somebody's it's some charm thing it's some silver it says You're, you are always in my heart so I knew I was a Christian but it was like my heart's yours but I'm just everything's burned up because I had wrong motives wrong not obedience not, not in your power in so many ways And so I've made it my aim to buy gold, silver, and precious stones. To buy the gold of, to love my wife with the right motives in obedience to the word and in the power of the spirit. I do say, Lord, help me to love my wife. I want that. I want the gold, pretend this is gold, but the gold of standing with Israel being a watchman on the wall for Jerusalem. I'm working daily for gold, not to get saved, but are y'all following me? This is just stuff I found in the office. The silver communion cup, the communion with him, the gold of loving him and being loved by him. Thanks for continuing to play because I know I said I was done, but you knew I wasn't done. I'm going to have to go in your office and give account for what I gold, silver and then I stole this from my wife from her. You have to give account for that. Precious stones. The precious stones would be any kinds of a myriad of ways of glorifying God with the right motives, the right obedience, the right power. Let's let's bow our heads right now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal to each of us motives. Help us adjust to desiring you to be talked about, thought about as a result of our life. Help us to love right, to love our spouse right, love our children right. Help us to buy gold refined in the fire. Jesus, you love us, this we know. Thank you for rescuing us from that other judgment. I ask now, Holy Spirit, that you just, let's just wait on the Lord as you continue to play. Just ask the Lord to show you. Any kind of wood, hay, and stubble, that you say, you know, I'm, I am I don't want any more of that. Thank you, Lord. I just hear that, just such an invitation from the Lord. Saying, just, just sign up today. Sign up. So that when I look at you with my eyes, fire you, you'll also see. I mean, we're all gonna see the smile on his face, because he loves us, but Lord, we'll hear, well done. Thank you, Lord. Now I wanna have a specific altar call for those who I I prayed it last week. I saw it again today. If you, if you, uh, I I believe that last phrase I put in there, only that which is done in the fire of the Holy Spirit will stand the test of the fire of judgment. I just want to come forward again. If it was me in two places, I'd come forward again myself, say, I want fresh fire. So come forward right now for fresh fire. I want to pray over you for fresh fire. That what you do will be done in the power and the fire of God, not in the fire of, emo- of, a, of, of just hyping ourselves up. or Because that, that only lasts for a, like we heard in Sunday school, you can go on your own fire for maybe three to five years, five to seven. We're talking about long term fire the fire that will stand the fire of judgment. I want that kind of fire, Lord. I want to love this church with your fire. I want to love my wife with your fire. I want to go get the food for the food pantry with your fire, not just, oh, it's my day to do it. Lord, I want to care the people that come get that food would come to know you as the bread of life. Just come, would you open your hands to the Lord? Lord, come, fire, come. I declare, every one of you, I declare right now, spirit of prophecy, I declare, you are ministers of fire. I declare it. God has called you, Judy, to be a a burning and shining lamp in California. He's called you, David, to be a burning and shining lamp. You're not going to burn out. You're going to burn with the fire of Jesus. Lord, come set us on fire right now. Thank you, Lord. You may start to feel heat. I don't know. You might. I believe the Lord wants to do some things right now. He wants, we had two different words. He wants to heal kidneys right now. He wants to heal kidneys. For some, it's going to be you're going to, you don't, you want to avoid dialysis. Kidneys be healed. He wants to heal fracture, someone in their left forearm down to their left wrist. He wants to heal a fracture that didn't heal right. Just give that arm, give your arm, just say, Lord, heal that fracture. He wants to heal hips, pain in the walking. You have pain walking. He wants to heal hips. Thank you, Lord. And just wait on the Lord. And sorry I went a little long, but I want to at least take a couple, couple, couple more minutes and then, then we'll officially be dismissed. But I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the way you you spoke to Pastor Nate to have us come forward to, to begin this to opening up, saying, Lord, I want to all the way turn with you. Lord, as of today, as Rachel sings, as she leads us in this song, Lord, help us to make that turn from this day forward. Maybe not... I'm not saying cry for three days, but Lord, help us to say from this day forward, no more wood, hay, and stubble. As far as it depends on me, help me to amass the quality over quantity. In Jesus' name, just stay right here.